Okay. Okay, we're connected. Here comes some music for the audience. shows on Saturday night, Jeff, isn't it? Eli has a Friday evening show, a Saturday evening show, and two Sunday morning shows. Oh, does he? Okay. Well, Friday evening, half evening, Saturday evening, and two Friday shows. I probably need to tap into Eli more. Uh, and we're glad to have Eli on board and be a friend of his for a number of he years. Did he did. Well, good for Eli. Uh, every Every one of these, they get up there at state. We're all further ahead and stronger because of it. So I'm glad after a few years, uh, Eli felt comfortable <laughs> enough to uh, to submit that to the person in the proper position where it is effective. I'll take a tiny bit of credit for that. Well, good. I'll be happy Eating to give it to you. <laughs> Thanks for hitting him with the cattle prod. <laughs> well, it took a couple of uh, in-person conversations. <laughs> Eli, get off the dime, man. So it uh, doesn't do you any good to write it and put it in a drawer, okay? Uh, and, of course, the unusual thing about today, we were talking about just before we went on the air as I looked up and noticed it, the date stamp is February 22nd. That means today, if you're writing it out, is 22222. Boy, is that unusual. Okay, and now, let me not take away from that, but I want to tell you, Eli spent a long time Saturday evening going over the 14th Amendment, and he's not done. Did he? Well, good for him. Yes. Well, I'm so glad. I'm to listen to that last Saturdays. And well, shoot me, a, shoot me a link to that if you could, Jeff, if you know where to find it, because it's hunting it's a little more difficult for me, and if you can put your finger on it, shoot it to me. I'm sure try and listen to it it'd be great i like to see the people that get into this stuff and take it off on their own and start dribbling and uh you know well if you could read the chat <laughs> well i can't i can't it's the problem so uh anyway um if you just drop it to right. me in an email <clears throat> today's date yes highly unusual okay i think the last time it happened was uh 
uh, well, on the 11th, uh, 2011 on 11111. So uh, here we go, uh, approximately, what is that, 11 years later? Well, it reads this thing from left to right, right to left. Yeah. Up to there's a, there's a, a name for that. I don't know what it is, the way they put labels on things like that. But anyway, yeah, anamoxapia uh, or something like that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, it's a uh, five twos, kind of unusual, and of course that warms my heart because of my uh, deceased father, uh, who used to say con- all the time, not constantly, but I remember hearing him say it a lot. Twenty two is my favorite number, so Dad, you're smiling today, and I'm happy to be able to uh, help make you smile. So, and uh, he also never thought his son would amount to anything, and so I'm happy to contradict that too um i think we have accomplished a little something in this lifetime so far and we may have some even bigger accomplishments down the line i had a very nice visit with andy this morning and i enjoyed doing shows with andy he doesn't say too much he doesn't get into the conversational mode with me he just uh, lets me go and i start talking you know uh and uh, because of the format of it only being an hour it's a little more difficult uh, for us to get into anything in depth. And so what I kind of started out with was uh, because I'd been watching some of Owen Stroyer from yesterday, and he's going over some of these violent acts that are going on everywhere. It's just heartbreaking, really. And so I went into General Benton Parton and the th- period of escalating violence and the white papers of the Communist International. And I'd forgotten. I asked Andy if he knew who Benton Parton was, if he'd ever heard of him. And I had forgotten that Peter Hammond was a relation, had a, a very strong relationship with Benton Parton. And whenever he was in the States, he would stay with Benton Parton. Uh, he, Benton uh, had a house right across the river in Virginia from uh, D.C. And I remember I had his home address. And it's a place called King's Cove. Uh, must be some upscale subdivision there in upscale northern Virginia. But uh, that was good that Andy had that relationship and knowledge of Benton Parton. And uh, so I talked about that. And then I was just went into a little bit of background. He had, he had asked me when we scheduled, I said, what do you want me to talk about? And he said, well, how about getting out of the tax system? And, you know, I could talk about that for sure. But I didn't finish what we do and how to remove yourself from the system, period. The last time I was on with him, we ran out of time. And so I kind of picked that up. Up and I was going towards the tax system when we got cut off again today. So next time I get on with him, I said, we'll start and we'll call it uh, weaponizing your new status and how to put everybody on notice, including IRS. Uh, so anyway, that was a good uh, way to start the morning. Another stunningly beautiful day in Ecuador uh, where I tell you, the climate down here is just about as perfect as you get anywhere on the world, I think, and uh, for the cost of living that it is here compared. I, what I tell people is say, you know, I, I live in Hawaii at 25% of the price. And although we don't have the ocean out there, we got mountains, and uh, it certainly is a very similar climate to Hawaii, where I went when I was younger for a 10 day period one time. And so, anyway, it's a pretty nice place to live, and glad to be here. And we've got a nice group of expats who I will get together with here later today after this show on Tuesday and have lunch and uh, probably not get together too close to them because we got about half of our group that have gotten this jab, and the more we're learning about the infectious nature of shedding and some of the things that no telling uh, are affecting people that get around them, I just, man, I just, I, I'm sorry to see these guys do it, but... Uh, 
I just get to the point where I'm real apprehensive about even being around them, quite frankly, some of them. So uh, be that as it may, I'll probably trudge over there and have a little quick bite to eat and not dwell too long and certainly not swap any bodily fluids with any of them. So anyway, uh, that is the Tuesday opening. Somebody was trying to say something just as we were going to go on the air here. And uh, whoever that was, you want to come in and, and make your comment or ask your question, I'd love to hear it. I think it was me, Roger. Hey, hey, Roger, and hey, doll. I was just wondering if you could share that affidavit in in the chat. I I can't. No, I can't share it in the chat because it's a file. And uh, but what I can't even put it at the end of the show description. But what I'll do, I can put links there. But I can't put documents to my knowledge. I don't know how to do it. If you can, I don't think you can. Uh, I could. I'll tell you what I could do. I could copy and paste it and probably enter it there. And maybe I will do that. But if you don't want to do that, I'd be at the end of the day show description. Okay, uh, if you w- would like a copy in a file form, if you'll just drop me an email to uh, radio ranch at mail.com you know no spaces radio ranch at mail.com and just put uh, affidavit copy up there in the subject line and i'll attach it and shoot it right back at you i just put it in the chat roger oh you did okay well, all right well jeff took that thank you jeff i just sent well, it to let, jeff. let me tell you there's one word that's got an extra letter so that needs to be respelled. okay everybody be conscious of that my spelling you know i i always there's only one. Oh well that's good you know but i always reserve the right to invoke the mark twain doctrine jeff just so you know and the public knows all right and in this instance i'm going to invoke the mark twain doctrine He's got a couple of them. Okay, yeah, where, where's my straight man? Where's Ed McMahon? <laughs> what what is Roger? What is the Mark Twain doctrine? <laughs> well, I never gave a damn for a man that could only spell a word one way. So, <laughs> so I invoke the Mark Twain doctrine there. What word is it? So I can go back and find it, Jeff. It should be the word protected, but you got a P-R-I ah, before okay. the O. Okay. Well, hopefully that even if people send it in like it is to the State Department, uh, that they will uh, find that corrected. I'll go back and change I'm that. Sure. Uh, so, uh, okay. Uh, only had to invoke the Mark Twain Doctrine one time in that document. That's pretty good. Um, so uh, enough for that. So you can get that and correct the one word protected there uh, and uh, go ahead. And I did add a little bit and altered a bit from the one I sent to Jim White. I think I've talked about it briefly the other day because some people's names are more common than other. Obviously, Jim's one of them. I'm sure he's not the only Jim White in the country. And so when you send that in, it's good if you could identify the person that is having their status changed. And uh, the way you would do that is use your social security number or even better yet, if you've got an existing or even an expired passport. You know, just because the passport's expired doesn't mean that you are. Okay, and you can use an expired passport as identification. You just can't use it for active things like traveling and stuff. Uh, so even if you've got an expired passport, you could stick that number in there, and it'll go back and tag you with it. So uh, uh, I just used as an afterthought. I thought that'd be a good idea to put that in there. 
So uh, we had a really, really good, brisk show yesterday with a bunch of new folks and good questions and Lala and Hillary and uh, a couple of other new folks were tickled to death to have the new folks. You're the lifeblood of this, and you keep us stimulated and going on and knowing that there's new folks coming in to strengthen all of us, and we do our best to help get your questions answered and up to speed as quick as possible and strengthen you. So is there anybody in that category today that is new and has a question or anybody that's just got a question or a comment, we'd love to entertain them. So uh, if you're new, you can't put your hand up on the board there and I'm going to see it, okay, because you can only see so many of these things and my vision's a little challenged and uh, that's a little bit on a portable hard for me too. So what you got to do is just open your mic and go, Roger, or hello, or buenas, or however you want to insert yourself there and we'll be recognizing if it's a guy and a girl we're going to recognize the girl first every time because if i didn't my mother would be i raised you better than that and so i don't want to have that over my head so uh, we always try and defer to the ladies so anybody got any kind of injection they'd like Roger. to make yes Roger. is that dave dave hello roger yes this is this is ron hey, let ron. me know when you want your my book report <laughs> okay well uh, we might as well start out with it ron sent me something uh, it was that big owl's book i believe it was okay. uh Phil had sent me a copy of it and it was called the greatest little book now let me get it in front of me so i can now, while you're getting it in front of you i i got to see him one time years ago in atlanta when i was just getting into this and he was on the road his real name was harry something i don't remember combs was it harry combs i think that was his real name and he called himself big al and he was a little short guy i guess why he called himself big al and the book that i remember him putting out was very accurate on this we didn't have he didn't have any idea what we know and understand now but the book that i remember him putting out was which one are you like which person are you you know and so he at least had a handle on that way back then i'm sure he's no longer with us but he was a great contributor in the early days and he used to work with a sidekick and i'm trying to remember his name because i saw him too and uh his name escapes me right now but my subconscious may give it back to me so ron this this was big al's book right Right, correct. And it was this one was uh, the greatest little book and a synopsis of the my interpretation back in 1802, the Congress passed in an act or statutes at large. And basically, in order to be a U.S. citizen, you have to do three things specifically. One, you have to notify the United States two years in advance of your intentions. That's the number one thing you have to do. If you were were white, you were considered a man. And of course we know, you know, the blacks at the time called Negroes were, you know, considered slaves and didn't have, you know, a particular citizenship. Well along in eighteen ninety three there was a case City of Minneapolis versus Room. That's R E U M for anybody that wants to look it up. It's the Circuit Court of Appeals. And um, Big Al says, pay attention to the bold words 
and not otherwise because the what the court said in that case was room um never um let's see here he voted but he wasn't a citizen so they went to task and the court said that he didn't do the three things well he did give notice but he didn't do all of the three things that the statute required in order for him to be a citizen of the United States. So with that, because he was white, he was basically what we call today a national. He was not a citizen of the United States because he didn't do these specific things. So what's different between then and now in my interpretation of this is back before, well, in 1802 or in 1893, post-Civil War, if you were white, you were just basically a free man uh, on the land, which what we call um, the national today, or then you were a state citizen, but the states were different then than they are today. If you were black, you were, in my opinion, the same as a white, because when they passed the 13th Amendment, that said no longer could you be a slave unless you volunteered in, you didn't then need the 14th Amendment for anything. Because if you can't be a slave unless you are volunteering in, whether you're white or black or Asian or whatever, you're equal. The 14th Amendment then comes along and gives the illusion because the slave didn't have a home, basically, the 14th Amendment would give them this citizenship where they didn't have to necessarily do the three things required of somebody else. So the the slave or the Negro then thinking, oh my God, goodness gracious, thank you, I now have citizenship. It's only a function in their mind that that is because of the illusion um, at the time. But in reality, all men, whether they're black, white, Asian, or whatever, do what we do by choice. So the the crux of this books is basically, you know, saying that that as you're teaching, everything is by you know, consent has to be. So if we get all caught up in, um, cause I know in some of these presentations, some, um, get all riled up because there may be a distinction between white or black. Well, what the system has done today is try to meld everybody to together as citizen rather than man. And now we're hearing white privilege, um, like that's a new terminology. And, you know, whites are whites and blacks are blacks and Asians are Asians. But at the end of the day, 
we're still men and women created by you know the creator so man ron we could i could cover the rest of the show on what you've just covered right there there's a number of inconsistencies in there that i think is worth pointing out and discussing uh one thing is i'm waiting to hear about jewish privilege aren't you <laughs> well I, uh, hopefully you can't come soon enough or in big enough broadcast but regardless but if you're a, but if you're a banker and i guess if you're a banker there's your jewish privilege actually, well, that that and all the other perks they get you know i yeah. remember hearing the gal uh that used to work for Giselaine maxwell she had a little goy uh girl friday and she was with them at the jewish country club down in south florida you know it's why trump started mar de largo is because they wouldn't let him into the jewish country club in west palm beach okay and it's exclusively for jews and uh the gal that worked for Gislaine maxwell was there and she, and she was hungry and Gislaine maxwell said well, you're not jewish you can't eat our food right, there's jewish privilege for you Okay, just an example. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to where you started this in 1802. Um, if you would be talking about someone who immigrated, okay, because if you were born in a state, you were automatically a state citizen. Right. right. And it That's was true. only if you were a state citizen that you were a citizen of the nation. Okay. Now, back then, pre-Civil War, we used these terms uh, loosely and because there was no other options. In other words, I'm going to quote you uh, something out of Chief Justice Story, Chief first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, I believe, uh, Chief Justice Story's uh, commentaries on the Constitution that John and, John and Glenn used to cover this in their classes. Um, and it's, it was an excerpt out of Chief Justice Story's commentaries on the Constitution. And he said, a citizen of a state is ipso facto a citizen of the United States. Now, that means that ipso facto by the mere fact. A state citizen, was, by its mere fact, was a citizen of the nation. But it was before the 14th Amendment, and he didn't have to say United States of America. Okay? So it was understood what he meant because there was no other options at that point. And, of course, the Civil War created this federal citizenship. Now, uh, Ron, have you, and I know you were exposed to it, but I don't know if you've ever done any additional study. Have you gone in and read any of the excerpts or what John and Glenn covered in that class? Uh, I assuming you got one of the textbooks that they used, one of the, the compilation of all those things John and Glenn had copied and put in that little plastic binder thing i've still got mine actually and and they put these court cases in there that were very significant of course the one uh we're dwelling on now one of the most important was the first case on the 14th amendment called a case of first impression or a landmark decision uh on the slaughterhouse cases now there's a section in there ron an audience that starts out talking about the dred scott decision this is very interesting and you know i just started thinking about this relatively recently within the last year year and a half maybe and it's got some really interesting insights into it and i've never heard or seen anybody else expand on it 
okay? And that is the section in the slaughterhouse cases where it starts out talking about the Dred Scott, the recent, it was relatively recent, Dred Scott decision. And it says it was, a, it was an object of much discussion in D.C., in the publications, in the journals, and throughout the political community that a man who was born and raised in D.C. and a woman, too, I'm just saying that in a generic sense, the person born in Washington, D.C. and the territories was not only not a citizen of the nation, but incapable of being one by anything short of an amendment to the Constitution. Do you remember that verbiage in there? May not. Okay. I don't remember that one. Of course, it's been a long no, I know, time. I know. Well, you might want to go back and refresh yourself. I'm not sure on the page it's on, and it's a lot more eloquent, of course, than I just spouted here, but that's my shorthand way of doing it from memory. Now, with that in mind, uh, we automatically assign the new federal citizenship to the blacks. But do you think it was only blacks that were born and raised in D.C. and the territories? I'm sure there was every ethnicity. Okay. Sure. And so by default, they were federal citizens too, even though they weren't black. But then we get into the generalities, and now you see the agenda that they were going to use this for by pitting black against white and setting up these two statuses where one subservient to the other and being identified with the black man. Okay, although by that verbiage and by common sense, there had to be uh, uh, all kinds of people from different ethnicities and nationalities that were born and raised in the territories and in D.C. that this would also apply to. You see what I'm saying here, Ron? Okay, so even though it wasn't, it it, it is portrayed and throughout all the court cases and everything else, it kind of echoes this. It was accepted that it was formed for the black man, but in actuality, there had to be other whites and different ethnicities that had access and were under the moniker of this new federal citizenship that were under the same limitations. Okay, so uh, if it's somebody that was a new federal citizen in D.C. of the territories that was white, which restroom did they go to? Right. Okay. So it's got a lot of implications in all this. Now, when when Glenn and John edited my manuscript that turned out into the book, there's a lot of things in that legal argument that I didn't know that Glenn and them didn't know that he found out by researching the edit. Okay, And one of them was before the 14th Amendment, men were naturalized at the state level and not at the federal level. And when you think about it, they couldn't have been naturalized at the federal level because there wasn't a federal citizenship. Okay? Now, I was watching, I used to love to watch Antiques Roadshow. And here a couple years ago, I discovered that they had a bunch of those that I had not seen because I've been out of the States in a long time and um, that I had not seen on YouTube. And so I got into a deal where I was watching all these Antique Roadshow episodes on, on YouTube, as I like to call it. And one of them in there was in Boston. Boston. We got some Boston guys with us, you know. Maybe even Lewis is with us today or Skip. But uh, it was, and they'll relate to this, what I'm telling you. There's a black gal on there. And the big PBS station in the country, really, that spearheads a lot of PBS productions is WGBH in, in Boston. Okay, that's the public broadcasting outlet out there. And this girl's on Antiques Roadshow with a naturalization paper 
that WGBH had had an auction to raise funds, and they had offered this on their auction. And she purchased it, and she was showing it on Antiques Roadshow. So it was a Massachusetts naturalization of a black guy. How about that? Okay. What year was that? I, you know, I don't remember the year on it. I've got it somewhere in the files. I saved saved a copy of it, but I think it was before the fourth. Well, it had to be before the Fourteenth Amendment because they were naturalizing him in the state. And after the Fourteenth right. Amendment, I think they started naturalizing people through the federal system. Okay, as they conglomerated power. So here was a black guy that somehow got the a- access and became a citizen of the state of Massachusetts and a citizen of the United States of America. Isn't that interesting? Okay. I mean, I just, my jaw dropped when I saw that. I went, holy smokes, I got to get copies and screen snips. And uh, I I communicate with a fellow, some of you are familiar with his work, if not him. His name's Joshua Wallbuilder, and he's the guy behind SEDM.org and FamGuardian.org, which are two fine patriot websites. He uh, uh, takes the writing and people want to read approach, and uh, I take a little different approach, but we're pretty much on the same page. And so I I shot uh, that to Josh. I told him about it, and he said, Send it to me. Send it to me. So I sent him all that in the episode where this happened and whatever. But there's a perfect example of a black guy getting naturalized as a citizen of the state, Massachusetts, and therefore a citizen of the United States of America pre-14th Amendment. Okay? So isn't that interesting? All right. Um, so I think Mr. Harry's uh, example of 1802 was somebody that was being naturalized, that they had to f- fit that criteria, okay? Now, uh, we went, you went and touched on the Civil War, uh, covered the fact that there had to be other people that were bestowed with federal citizenship that weren't black. And you can see the setup of this all the way back, I mean, with this almost... Almost 200 years ago, okay, these guys had this thing so sculled out that what they were going to do and how they were going to do it so they could write those two amendments. Now, you were talking about the 13th and the 14th Amendment. You mentioned those. I don't know, and I don't think you've heard this yet because you're relatively new. And this is another thing that's just come to me relatively recently is the absolute firm belief that these two amendments were written before the Civil War and that the Civil War was fought so that they could get these into place so they could control the world with it 100 years later. And I firmly believe that, okay? And I think you can prove it. And by what we know, and the reason I say that is because now we know the end game. All up to this point, all these Supreme Court justices and other people that have made decisions on these two articles and stuff, they didn't know the end game. And now we know the end game. And you can look back and look at the 13th and the 14th in tandem. Do you know, Ron, that they were not passed at the same time? They were voted on six months apart. Okay. And the 13th Amendment was voted on in June of 1868 originally the 14th amendment was called the civil rights act of 1866 that's what became the 14th amendment and uh, the 13th amendment was passed in june did you know that they let the southern legislators back into congress to vote on the 13th 
I didn't find that out until recently. Okay, It was six months later in December when they passed the 14th Amendment and they wouldn't let them back in. So the 13th Amendment, which replaced the original one that got lost somewhere, how how they kicked it out of the uh, Constitution is beyond me, okay? But they did, and they replaced it with this one. So let's look at the, the 13th Amendment. I'm going to paraphrase it, right? You don't have it in front of me. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, unless a man has been duly convicted of a crime, shall exist within the states or their jurisdictions. That's pretty much it, don't you think, Ron? I might have missed a word or two, but that's pretty close, okay? So let's go back and look at that real close. Because you, with your amount of knowledge and background, understand a concept called legal biomission. And that concept is if it isn't expressly outlawed, then it's legal by default because it isn't expressly outlawed. So what have we got there in that amendment? We've got slavery nor involuntary servitude, but they don't say a word about voluntary servitude, do they? Exactly. So it's legal by omission. Now, by all rights, it has to be because in the document in the Constitution earlier, it says you can't impair someone's ability to contract. And that's what volunteer servitude is, is like a bond servant. You're volunteering into that position. So it is, in essence, voluntary servitude, but it's not expressly outlawed. Okay. So it's legal by omission. And if you go down a little bit further, you see the word there, plural, their jurisdictions. So that is set up to be able to get the state citizens to volunteer into the federal citizenship. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the door's wide open now in a constitutional amendment because they allowed the legislators from the South to come back in and vote on it. You can't say that about the 14th, but you can about the 13th, okay? Now, six months later, when they won't let them back in, we go into the 14th Amendment, and it says all persons, we just concentrate on the first clause here, okay? All persons born or naturalized in the United States, comma, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, comma, are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. Now, there's a two-pronged test there. All persons, of course, we know now. It doesn't mean everybody. It means all legal persons. All legal persons born or naturalized. So there is your slavery right there. And it went originally for the blacks and it brought this feudal system in undercover even back then because it's assigning a political status when you're born or when you naturalize and again naturalization is voluntary so that's where it switched from the state authorizing naturalized persons to the feds and it's under the 14th amendment naturalized because you're volunteering in again volunteering to get these civil rights just like Afrahim, you know, I mentioned it the other night on the call with you guys. Afrahim v. Rusk, very important case. Thank you, Alan, for bringing it to us. Afrahim, the Hungarian Jew, comes to the U.S., immigrates. He wants to get these civil rights. He goes through the naturalization process. They catch him voting in an Israeli election. So they try and take him away. 
and it goes to the Supreme Court. That's what Rusk is, was the Secretary of State, again, in charge of all matters concerning citizenship. There's a reason he's the defendant there, okay? And what did the Supreme Court say? You can't take away his rights. What they didn't say is because these are voluntary rights, and he's got to voluntarily give them away. Okay, so there's where the switch was from the state naturalization to the federal naturalization was with the quote unquote passage of the 14th Amendment. So that's the first prong. All persons born or naturalized and notice it says in the United States because that's the federal citizenship. It doesn't say all persons born or naturalized in the United States of America. It just says the United States and the 13th is there so they can trick you into that status. Okay, and get you to volunteer in to what they know 100 years later is going to be a presumption. Well, these guys are slick, man. Okay, so you got a two prong test here. You got to be born or naturalized in the United States. And secondarily, you got to be subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Notice it doesn't say all persons born or naturalized in the United States are subject to the jurisdiction thereof. It doesn't say are. It says and. So there's got to be a test. The first test is under that presumption of law when they brought the bankruptcy in and switched the status. Oh, well, you're born or naturalized in the United States, and if you weren't, you got a birth certificate, which means that you've gone through this process and you were. Okay? So there's the first test. The second legal test is and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. So the rest of it reads, as you know, are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. These two questions sound familiar, Ron. Are you a citizen of the United States? Are you a resident? Yes, yes. You got a birth certificate, so I guess you've admitted, and that means you're and subject to the jurisdiction. So now the two legal tests are complete, and you completed the voluntary process. See what's going on here? Yep. They knew, right the they knew this when they wrote those damned amendments. And they weren't written in our country. I guarantee you everything I own, they were written in the city of London. Roger. Yes, but hold on, Dave. Because the guy that introduced the 14th Amendment was a railroad attorney from Ohio. And we know who financed and ran the railroads, don't we? Yeah, Dave, is that you? It is. Good morning. Hey, Dave. Great uh, dissertation there. Thank you, um, sir. So, there's a monkey wrench. Um, after the 14 southern states left the Congress, they had no quorum. That's it was correct. only 25 states. So, everything they did after that, was it wasn't done as a government right that's correct and there's been a lot of people go ahead 10 years later whether they dissolved that corporation or not nothing was done as a with a quorum so everything they've done since march of 1861 is null and void well you know what they're going to use if anybody brings that up and there have been people that brought that up certainly you're not the only one uh, is they come back and use a legal concept called custom and usage. Well, nobody's proven it. Nobody's really objected in 150-plus years, so it's custom and usage. Sorry, man. Okay, There's about a five, I don't know, maybe more. There's a pretty good dissertation in the congressional record by a Louisiana congressman named Rarick on exactly what you're talking about and the fraudulent passage of the 14th Amendment. 
Now, as to the incorporation, the 14th Amendment was passed, quote-unquote, in 1868, and as we found out recently with the proliferation of people on this bandwagon about the corporate United States, that wasn't done until 1871, and Larry B. Kraft's research shows that it was unincorporated a couple of years later. Okay, so 1868 was the passage, and it says subject to the jurisdiction thereof. So even though it was not incorporated, it was a single entity, the, when the, when the act was passed. So there's a lot of real gray, murky area here, you know, but you got all these years of court cases like Wong Kim Ark and Elk V. Wilkins and, and Plessy versus Ferguson and all the other ones that have dealt with the 14th Amendment. Lord knows there's a myriad of them. Uh, and all of those issues were not addressed. And so that's why it falls under custom and usage is, is what I would say. And I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying you're not going to get anywhere with that argument. You understand what I'm saying, Dave? Don't tell that to Anna von Rice. Yeah, I, I, I don't tell. I, I don't. I don't try and tell anything to Anna von Rice. I mean, I, if I want to communicate with her, I'll go through the space of the mothership. Okay. <laughs> or possibly, maybe I can go through the Pope. Ah. Uh, but what we do is we're a little more practical in reality. We take what they give us. You know, you dance with the girl that brung you, right? And so we know it's the 14th Amendment. Now we know the background and what it is, and we know that we can volunteer out because you're in voluntary servitude, and I'll be damned if they don't recognize it. And I would say again, this isn't Rogers, this Rogers information, this Rogers information, that. We've been having people submit these documents to the Secretary of State, the head knocker in charge of all matters concerning citizenship for 11 years. And with only a couple of rare exceptions, there's never been one refused. And no one has ever gotten back to me. And I have to admit to think that if something happened negative, I'd be one of the first to know even though I don't know these people because I don't have any idea who all's done this. But I've never had any kind of blowback reported to me that's negative that's happened to somebody because they filed the affidavit. So if you've got a problem with this information, it ain't with me. It's with the Secretary of State and whoever's in the Department of Justice as the Attorney General for null process in any of these cases that are so erroneous that they deserve prosecution. If I'm so wrong, why have they accepted this without a whimper, almost, for 11 years? Okay, there's the proof in the pudding right there. And I dare say an 11-year unblemished track record is a pretty damn solid track record in this area. Okay? And Ralph Winterroot, Ralph Winterroot, or anybody else notwithstanding, if you can't understand that, you need to rethink it. Yes, who was trying to say something? Hey, this is Mike from Birmingham. Hey, Mike. Hey, you feed into the your focus, the base is real, real hot. Do what now? You feed into the your focus yeah. network, the base is real, real high. You mean the, the, the volume? No, the base, your, your tone. My town? Tone. Tone. tone of it. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm, I don't know why. Is it different from usual? 
Uh, yes, it's back to where it's like real, like bass. There's no, there's no higher mid. It's all low. Oh, 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 bass. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Mike, your mic is way off too. I'm on. I bet. All right, I see what that is. That should be better. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I listen well on this one, but I listen to Eurofolk when I can. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. It's part of this mixing board, and sometimes this little adjustment. It never had done it before recently, but maybe I did it again. After no problem. That. I thought I'd just let you know. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. I thought you thought I thought you thought I was free basing or something. So I'm sorry I misconstrued your comment. <laughs> So, uh, anybody else got any questions or comments on what we just covered? We really went into depth on some really important stuff right there. Hey, just be careful you don't catch on fire, Roger. I try not to. I'll be, uh, like, pretending I'm Richard Pryor or something. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Ricky Nelson. Uh, all right hold on a couple people trying to talk we got who's the newest person there that's trying to say something we want to recognize you well i hollered at you roger but i ain't new hey alan <laughs> well you're you're no but that's okay you're old georgia boy and that's cool how you doing this morning man doing good how are you i'm pretty good all in all god i had to get up early to do this thing with andy and then yeah. oh 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 i checked yesterday the time change is March 13th, and we get back to the time of year I really like better because I get off at 12 instead of 1, and uh, it's just better, you know. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, I don't, who, I don't know who you were talking to there a few minutes ago. Ron. Ron, okay. Then let me well, hold that. This important, Alan, because I I met Ron Saturday night on this Telegram call I did with these guys, and Ron was at the original John and Glenn seminar in Dallas where they kicked this whole thing off. Uh, okay, yeah, I, that's I heard y'all talking yesterday about all of that. So, okay, uh, so he's been in there for a long time too, then, huh? Yeah, evidently. <laughs> Uh, well, he's got a few gray hairs. <laughs> he's got a few gray hairs, he says, Alan. Going to the club, then. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? Uh, now, he was saying he didn't really see the need for the 14th because, but, but what the problem was, was after they freed the slaves, those people had no citizenship of any kind. They That's were just correct. considered a people. So they had, you know, they, they owed no allegiance to a state to a federal government and they got no rights or duties from them well you know, and they were mainly in the south see and that's what that example about that black guy in massachusetts getting naturalized massachusetts of course was one of the hotbeds of the abolitionist movement okay and so yeah. but the southern states if these people were free and they didn't have a new status the southern states were more than likely not going to naturalize them right right they wouldn't have naturalized them probably and but but what you know what they really not looking at is them people were free and the states really probably could not have made they would have had no jurisdiction over them. no they wouldn't have they, they wouldn't just, have they would have just been foreigners see yeah they'd have just been a free people with with you know freedom to do whatever they wanted until the six months or so there when they got the 14th amendment in <laughs> 
And they moved them all off of the plantation onto the government plantation. Onto the old federal plantation. They sure did, man. But that one little wiggle room there about the other people that were born and raised in D.C. and the territories that also, no doubt, got this bestowed upon them. And I've never seen anybody expand on that anywhere. No court cases, no commentaries, nobody even recognizes it, you know. But it's right there in the slaughterhouse cases, right in the oratory. And you got to remember, the slaughterhouse cases was uh, decided in 1871. And as they go through there, they keep making references to the recent actions or the recent activities. So, as I've said before, it's about like if we're sitting here talking and saying, do you remember on January 6th when Trump did the big deal and everybody invaded the capital and stuff well we'd all remember that because it's all in our recent memories and that's the same thing that was happening when they wrote the slaughterhouse case so those observations were in that vein and i think that's real important yeah yeah hey Rod. hey gary how you doing man i'm pretty good hey i wanted to relate something to everybody and that is the war powers act that uh roosevelt utilized to pretty clamp everybody down uses verbiage out of the 14th amendment that's right you know and, and the powers act with the treating the enemies act they changed it they didn't change it to americans they changed it to u.s citizens were the enemy of the state that's correct and i brought that up to andy this morning actually and what Gary's saying is that in the World War One, they passed a piece of legislation called the Trading with the Enemies Act, and the enemy was identified as Germans. Even though there was a huge population of Germans in the country, do you all know it was only by one vote of Congress that we didn't speak German instead of, as opposed to English? There were that many Germans and that much German influence, and of course, King George was from the the German aristocracy, the third, and he was the first of the three Georges there in charge of England, where they actually spoke English in the in the English court. Before that, they'd spoken German. Okay, so we were that close to being German speakers. All right. And so when the war broke out with Germany and they named Germans as the enemy in the public uh, trading with the enemy act, all they did with the bankruptcy was bring that forward. And the only thing they changed was that one word from Germans to citizens of the United States. So when they put you in servitude, they declared you as the enemy all the way back almost 100 years ago. Again, outside of Gene Schroeder, who did a lot of the definitive work on this bankruptcy thing, the Colorado veterinarian, uh, again, I've hardly ever heard anybody comment on that. But if you're new to this and you want to go do some of your own research, go look up Trading with the Enemy Act and Gene Schroeder, spelled just like it sounds, and uh, he did back in the 90s a great deal of in-depth research on this and that's where that information came from to me anyway originally so we've been the enemy so you don't want to be the enemy anymore file a file an affidavit and change statuses you won't be the enemy anymore thank you gary everything going all right out there in flathead county I know he's working. He must be working or something. Um, yeah, I am working. 
laying a laminate floor. Okay, we'll go back to work, man. I know you gotta keep keep Mama happy there. So uh, we're always hey, glad, Roger. glad to have you on board. Who's trying to get in there? Samuel. Hey, Samuel. Sam. Yeah, I I think all these um, war powers situations that they uh, have their foundation in Articles 100, which was written by a foreigner as well. You want to expand on that for us? Well, it's the law they used to uh, clamp down on the South, which after the war and has never been... Well, number one, Congress never declared war, so there really wasn't a war. <laughs> and they never they never ceased hostilities, and Articles 100 took the place and uh, pretty much rolled everybody into it over time, including the North. Do you know they're trying to keep um, this kid from western North Carolina, Ka- Ka- Cathorn? Does anybody know his name, the kid in the wheelchair that's paralyzed? It's real, real, real concerning. Yeah, the, the Democratic Party there is uh, using the 14th Amendment to say that he cannot run for office again. That's right. They're trying to. I don't know if they've been successful yet, but they're trying to float that. Uh, at anybody right. You don't, and the key is they're trying to, Go ahead, Gary. They're trying to do it, Roger, utilizing the 14th. I knew that. They're trying to do it utilizing the 14th Amendment. Yeah, about rebellious. Okay. Nobody in also, rebellion. I, but I wanted to help Samuel a little bit. That's Francis Lieber, who oh, wrote the, right. the uh, yeah, General the Lieber Code. The Lieber and he was in yeah, uh, North Carolina, one of the universities in North Carolina at the time. I think he was German. Yeah, probably. So, and, and Jewish, too. Yeah, German. Yeah, Jewish. German Jew. Yeah. Ashkenazi, <laughs> no doubt. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of inconsistent. Well, you can tell we're not under the Constitution if you really understand it, because one of the clauses in the Constitution says we can't have a standing army. It was supposed to be the militia. Lord of mercy, we've had a standing army now since World War One. It pretty much did after the Civil War everything they wanted to do because they're really pushing everything into the military because it worked so well for them there, right? Well, that's their yeah. muscle, you know. They know they know what the muscle is they need, and uh, that's why with that Woodrow Wilson uh, repudiation of dollar diplomacy you can find online, and they were trying to get Wilson to uh, uh, co-sign that loan to China from the bankers, and he wouldn't sign it. And the reason they wanted him to co-sign it because they wanted to run American troops over there to collect the, uh, uh, the 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 interest and the loan, the money back from the loan, and as evidence, because Wilson didn't sign it, the bankers went ahead and made the loan, and the Chinese never paid the first payment on it. It's the only way that when when England and we found this out during the Trump deal, I saw this gal that's in charge of the Bond Association. There's an American Bond Association, and the girl that's the head of it is uh, is an attorney, but. I heard her and saw her on Epic Times back when it was on YouTube before they yanked it twice. Okay, and she was said I even met with President Trump. He knows all about this. So there was a hundred million dollars that they loaned the Chinese. Wilson wouldn't co-sign for the muscle, so the Chinese never paid a penny. And 
that loan was still outstanding at least until the British gave Hong Kong back to China. And evidently, from what she said, this out of her mouth, they part of the giving Hong Kong back to China was they had to pay the British bondholders obviously the Rothschilds and some others, and so they had to pay off the British side of that deal to get Hong Kong back. But, of course, they hate the Americans, and they haven't ever paid a penny. The gal on there said there was 20,000 American bondholders in that issue that have never been paid a penny, and she talked to Trump about it. How much do you think out of half of the 20,000 bondholders that out of that bond issue, the loan issue to China, China owed us $1.7 trillion. Our debt to China was only $1.2 trillion at the time. So Trump literally could have gone to these 20,000 bondholders and bought those bonds back, let's say a nickel or a dime on the dollar. Well, that's more than they're ever going to get out of China. He buys them back at that deep discount, and then every month when a payment goes on our debt to China, we feed them back their own defaulted bonds. You don't think that would upset the monkey card a little bit? I think that's probably what Trump was up to. Well, he knew about it because this gal said she met with him. Okay. You know, the, the Civil War era, too, be, votes were very close. So they had to suppress the South and they had to bring in other states illegally. So they brought in West Virginia, Nevada, later, yeah. later on Nebraska, yeah. all under bogus situations. Yeah, and a lot of that, of course, was on a lot of the contention at that point is because it was pretty equal, North and South, and slavery was this big issue. And that was the big contention with new states coming into the Union. Were they going to be free or slave? And that was the state's choice. Okay. Uh, Samuel, I, I heard you talking with uh, Jim Ram's guest yesterday, this guy Mike, who was very sharp. I was very impressed with him. And uh, I got the impression that he is, is out pretty close to you where you live in Placerville. Yeah, I'd say where he lives is maybe an hour to an hour and a half drive. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to contact him, and, and what he's doing works hand-in-hand. Hand. Of course, Harvey and, and, and uh, John Casera have been all over this private membership association thing for a year, year and a half at least. And uh, uh, it's got some real distinct advantages, obviously. Uh, but there's a few things that we know that Mike didn't know that I think he would benefit from knowing. So I'm going to reach out to him, and if he will and can, he, I'd like to have him join us one day for a little bit of time and maybe we can help give him some of the fine points here and make what he's doing a little bit more effective uh i wasn't quite sure and uh because of one of the things he was talking about putting your business into a pma yesterday i don't know if all of you heard the show or not but this is a guy that is forming and very very schooled and up on top of the pmas private membership associations which removes you from federal jurisdiction because it's a private membership association okay and it segregates you from the federal government's jurisdiction and one of the things he was covering was your business because we've had a lot of questions about that here 
what does somebody do with their business? And my answer has always been, Brent, go talk to Brent Winters and probably put it in a trust or put it in a pass-through corporation. And then because you're free, especially, let's say, a subchapter S corp, which is designed to be a pass-through. It's nothing but a shell entity that does the business. And when the profits come in, they drop through to you. And if you've got yourself free and you've put the IRS on notice that they don't have any of that jurisdiction, you shouldn't have any taxable liability. And the subchapter S doesn't keep anything, so it's got no tax obligations. Okay, So that's certainly one way to do it. But he was talking about uh, turning your business there. Uh, into a PMA and like overnight you close one night and the best thing I think they mentioned was to not keep the name the same change the name slightly and reopen the next day as a PMA but what Mike's statement was was that your customers are still liable and I'm not sure about that okay quite frankly and I, I don't know he may be right I may be wrong but uh, it's you that's got the obligations not your customers Okay, that's a that's a voluntary relationship of them coming in and doing business with you, just like us signing up for Social Security. There's no nexus from the federal government because we got a Social Security number on on any kind right. of jurisdictional thing. Yeah, Samuel. My understanding was that he said that when they come into your place, regardless of who they are, public or private, they sign in. And they make themselves part of your club at that point. Well, you can you can do that. You can charge somebody a, a nickel or whatever. You know, there's ways to get them to join to do business with you. Uh, but I don't think that it gives them in the federal government any kind of uh, jurisdictional nexus on them because they didn't do that. I don't think. I may be wrong. Okay, I'm not an expert on these PMAs by any stretch of the imagination. Well, it's great for a teaching tool because people wonder, what, why am I signing? And you tell them, and they, oh, well, and, you know, then that gets in their head, and I, I can see that as being a good thing. Yeah, no, 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 I do too, and I think it's very useful, and I, I know, like I said, John Caserab is real high on it, has been for a while, and so is Harvey. Uh, Harvey and I were talking about it with this, uh, with this frequency machine, actually. So, yeah. uh, anyway, uh, I thought that was he was a really good guest. He's very bright, obviously, very articulate. And uh, I'm, I'm anxious to uh, – I think he, he goes real well hand-in-glove dovetails in with what we do here. So I'm how, does the, pardon me? how does the Commerce Clause kick in when the people gave the authority for the government to regulate commerce? Well, you know where the test case on that was? Came out of Atlanta. Okay, and, and all the applications of it today, to my understanding, came from a guy that used to be the mayor of Atlanta, whose name was uh, Lester Maddox. You may he got a real bad reputation as beating blacks up and stuff, which wasn't true. Okay, it was more liberal press stuff, but uh, he used to ride his bicycle around, and I know he he rode his bicycle backwards. I remember that. And uh, he his uh, uh, his foundation was built on restaurants called Prick, Pickrick. Isn't that right, Alan? You got any Georgia boys here? I'm pretty sure that's correct. Pickrick restaurants. And the way that Commerce Clause, when they were going after Lester Maddox, was because of Tabasco that he used in his restaurants. 
So it was that product from Louisiana that was interstate commerce that revolved around that decision that they've enforced a lot of that commerce clause on, although the commerce clause is in the Constitution, and it's generally uh, recognized as federal jurisdiction because it's like interstate truckers. Okay, when they go from one state to the other, which state has jurisdiction? Well, the feds do because it's interstate. Okay, and and if you go back and look at some of our cases, Plessy v. Ferguson and the Slaughterhouse cases, both came out of Louisiana, and those were interstate or in intrastate inside the state of Louisiana cases, and they particularly picked a railroad with Plessy, a railroad line that didn't go out of the state of Louisiana, so there was no federal jurisdiction, and it was all within the state. Uh, I guess that answers your question, maybe? Uh, All right. Yeah, hold on a second one. Well, Alan, go ahead. What were you going to say? It's Piccadilly is what you were talking about, restaurant. I thought, okay, Piccadilly? Are you sure? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I thought it was Pick Rick because Piccadilly is a cafeteria. But anyway, restaurant yeah, like, but cafeteria style foods what they have, but it is a restaurant. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Gary, you were going to add something. Gary. Yeah, in the Supreme Court case, the Supreme Court case twenty versus Willie Corporation, they only stated that when a U.S. citizen exits the ten square miles of Washington D.C that they're in interstate commerce. That's right, because they, I guess they consider you property, and you're moving from one state to the other, so you would be, in, in essence, in commerce. Um, my dear, dear, dear friend who's no longer with us, Ron Brown, I'm just so sorry you guys didn't get a chance to know him. Uh, Ron Brown used to be an insurance agent. That was his line of business. And he had Lester Maddox's insurance. And I remember him telling me that Ron was just, he was an impeccable dresser. He he looked like a Philadelphia lawyer, okay? He was always dressed up in some three-piece suit or something, just dressed impeccably. And he had a personal habit of always being early for an appointment, and sometimes as much as 30 minutes early for an appointment. And he, I remember him telling me when he'd go down to the Capitol, when he had an occasion to get with Lester Maddox down there, that he'd show up at 6.30 in the morning because Maddox came in at 7 every morning and they'd have their meeting. And uh, Ronnie Brown is no longer with us, and boy, I miss him. He was a great guy, and you guys would have loved him. He was the life of any party that he ever went to, okay? Just type A, extrovert, funny, gregarious. Everybody loved him, and uh, boy, I sure do miss that guy. So, any other comments? Yes, sir. Who we got there? It's Jack. Hey, Jack. Oh, hey, Jack. Talk to us. Talk to us, bro. Uh, You're correct. The restaurant was passing out axe handles and all. was called the Pick Rick. That's what I thought. Harvey, Harvey said that. So they were. He was passing out axe handles at the Big Rick restaurant. And you know the thing was, is Lester Maddox was not a racist. Okay, he was just portrayed yeah. as one. But he's one. He's probably the last best mayor the city of Atlanta yeah. ever had. I'm gonna post it in the group. <laughs> that, uh, 
I remember the very first Peach Bowl was uh, uh, because LSU played in it, and it was about in 1966 or 67, and Lester Maddox rode around the old Brave Stadium there on his bicycle backwards before the first Peach Bowl. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, I've met him two or three times. Once was Go Pat Go, 1996, uh-huh. uh, at the Cobb County Center. Oh, man, do I remember he that. Yeah, he like to jerk my arm out of the socket. Anytime you meet him or, or come across him, he's going to shake your hand so hard it <laughs> makes you feel like your shoulder's going to jerk out of the socket. Listen, we had, and boy, do I remember that night when Pat Buchanan was running for president and he had all that really early momentum up in the new hampshire and stuff and they were talking about getting the pitchforks out right and he came down and did a campaign appearance in atlanta at the cobb county community center or center out there and there were so many people that showed up that they had to go out and set up speakers outside because you couldn't get into the Cobb County Communities Arena or whatever it was. And there were throngs of people outside, and he scared the crap out of these people. I actually, another one of my dear Patriot friends, somebody Jack will remember, uh, David Strait, not the one that's going around now, but of the same name. And uh, David Strait was a self-made millionaire who built his fortune on prefab homes that he shipped all over the world. And he was just one of the finest men. One of the finest men I've ever known, really. And a guy that had made money and was worth something and put his money where his mouth was. And boy, they came after David Strait. But I would go because David and I were very good friends. And I went to a private fundraiser for Pat Buchanan when he was in town for that and actually got to meet him and shake his hand one time, uh, which I consider a great honor and privilege. Uh, But boy, I remember that night in Cobb County you're talking about, Jack. Yeah, and uh, I don't know why, but he hung out all the time later in life at the Piccadilly. Uh, in Marietta on four on forty one. Lester and I did? ran into him there a time or two. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I wonder if Piccadilly Cafeteria maybe somehow morphed into from his Pickrick days. I don't he know. He would always be there with his wife. Uh, was that Piggly Wiggly? That's the grocery store cafeteria combo. Do you know the reason I laugh at that, uh, Jeff? Is when I started in radio, uh, I was the reason I got the job is because the general manager and I uh, related, and he had been in Baton Rouge, uh, and of course we had that to relate to, and and uh, his name was Ken Winstanley, and of the accounts that the that the radio station had, Piggly Wiggly was one of the biggest and was his account, and so every Wednesday he would come in and hand me from the newspaper the Piggly Wiggly ad with the item circle that he wanted me to go in and record that spot, the commercial, and that was my deal. I had to go in and do the it's called production and radio. I had to go do the production on that Piggly Wiggly spot, and I remember there was a bed, it's what we call a music bed. You know, there was a an intro and an outro with about some little jingle on when you get to Piggly Wiggly, shop Piggly Wiggly foods, you know, that kind of thing. And it drops into a music bed there for about 30, 40 seconds. And you lay your vocal in over that with the specials. And 
then it exits out on on the other end with a jingle and when you said that i flashed on that how much i used to hate doing those things well, i've got a fun memory of piggly wiggly because 25 years ago my wife and i on a cross-country trip stopped in biloxi mississippi and 6 30 in the morning piggly wiggly was open and for 49 cents each we got scrambled eggs, bacon, toast, coffee. <laughs> Is this a different world? Oh uh, yeah, it's a different world for sure, man. Uh, still great. Piggly Wiggly every week. Do you? <laughs> They're still around. Yeah. <laughs> Too funny. I just flash on that commercial, man. I had to drag that bed out every week and do that and time it out just right where you got everything that he had circled in the ad in that music bed there. And <laughs> I can still remember the melody line of the thing, man. I wish I can't remember the lyrics. Anyway, old memories. Thank you. Too funny. Um, so anybody else got any questions or comments or whatever? Jeff, you were saying something? something up? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so in one of the Telegram chats, I see that Jack put in there that he's heard that Ralph Winterrood has uh, got some Rona thing going on. Got some what? COVID. Uh-oh. I hope not. Yeah, so maybe Jack could elucidate or, or not. Jack, how do you, you know that? Ralph's got the COVID? Jack might not. He's... He's in the hospital. Ralph um, is? Yes, he is. Oh, I hate to hear that. And uh, doesn't... It, Steve Elkins reported on it last night a little bit, and it sounds like uh, he's not in a real bad way, but uh, I guess feeling bad hey, enough to be there. You get in the hospital steps. these days, you don't have to be in a bad way. They'll put you in a bad way to get all those bonuses. <laughs> did, did you catch that video I sent you that all those respirators are run on 5G? Oh, uh, yeah, I saw that. Pretty sad. Yep, sure is. Uh, and, of course, if you go in with a hangnail, uh, the, from the very minute you get into the hospital, they start getting bonuses. If they give you a COVID test that isn't paid for, they get a bonus. And it just escalates from there all the way to $100,000 if they kill you. That's a horror story, man. I mean, it really is. Well, the way they've weaponized everything in these institutions against us and they've become murder factories basically now i'm sorry to hear ralph's in there um while that while it's on my mind um i communicated a bit with tom excuse me tom d yesterday I told you i had to get up early this morning with tom d and he doesn't have a slot this week for some reason something he's got on his plate but next week tuesday or wednesday he's going to have me on and uh, uh, and I think we're going to go over the tax system and do that lecture on the origins, development, analysis and of the tax system next week. So I hope Ralph's out of the hospital by that time. I would think it's something he would want to hear. Sorry to hear that. My, my client's sort of open-minded, so I've been talking to him more and more and sort of mentioned, you know, what we're doing. And he says, well how would anything get done in this country if they're not collecting any taxes and stuff? And, and I said, well, have you ever heard of the grace report? <laughs> he hadn't, of course, he's young enough where, you know, Reagan is not really somebody who exists. Ancient history. And I told him about the grace report and how that was done under Reagan and Reagan, uh, 
Grace told Reagan that not a dime goes to the the country's infrastructure on your income tax. The day-to-day, actually what he said was the day-to-day running of the country. So I think he said, I used to say a penny and somebody corrected me and said it's a nickel. So the Grace Report technically says not one nickel of your income tax goes to the day-to-day running of of the country. So, okay, the obvious question is, well, where does it go? Well, my understanding is 17% goes to the IRS for the, the collectors to, to grab the money for the bondholders, yep. which are private. What I've heard is one-third is uncollectible. The other third is used for overhead and commissions and all that kind of stuff, and the remaining third pays the bondholders. don't know whether that's accurate, but somebody came on one day with that. So anyway, and then I told him that one third of the governments we have just locally, uh, one third of the people in an area, like in this area, one third of the people have something directly or indirectly to do with government and are paid by it. And I says, do you think you're getting what you deserve for that kind of money? Um, that needs to be cut and there'd be a big savings there. I said, we could run this thing privately more so than the way it's set up right now sure could it'd be a lot more responsive and responsible and uh you'd get rid of an awful lot of this fat extemporaneous government employees that are there to do nothing but draw a salary and harass you and sit around and think of things to put up as obstacles I had a friend who's sort of a go-getter and smart lady, and uh, she was looking at getting up in the age and looking, well, maybe I should find a job with a, with a retirement plan and everything. So, of course, she gravitated in her research to the county, and she worked there for about three days and just couldn't handle it. It was, it was just too much for her. Even the bureaucracy and the bullshit and, and the hierarchy. Oh, boy, the main guy came through. Everybody had a genuflect, you know? Yep. Yep, couldn't handle it even for the perks. I guess the reason we had so many folks on yesterday is because it was a federal holiday. And the, a lot of those folks must be working today. So anybody, have we got any new folks on that have got any questions? Because we, we really like to cater to you if you're there. Any older folks on, not age, but, you know, tenure around here. Any older folks there with any questions? Yes, I have a question, Roger. Okay, good. Who's this? Effort? This is Effort. Hey, yeah. Effort, I can recognize your voice finally. Yeah, thank you. Question is, what is the difference between uh, revocation of election and just simply putting the IRS on notice of your national status? Well, a revocation of election is specifically in the Code of Federal Regulations, and that's what John was able, with his knowledge and diligence, to read and identify, okay? And what you're doing there, and it says in the regulations that if you've been filing under the wrong status, that you can correct your status and refile, and they'll send you the past three years back. I don't think they'll do that anymore, but that was in there, and they did initially. If you give no IRS notice, they ain't sending you nothing back, but you totally remove yourself from their system. So that's the difference. 
Do you still do a revocation of election? I wouldn't. If you already I wouldn't. submitted a... No, I wouldn't. Because what they're prone to do now... Here's what happened, Ephraim, is initially John and Glenn built a business out of those regulations. Because what they would do is charge us $1,500 to go through their weekend seminar, which was worth every penny of that, by the way. And then if you filed and did the uh, follow-through, they would take a percentage of whatever you got back. I don't remember the percentage. It wasn't much. But that was what they built their business on. And so the first few people that went through this, and we'd file the affidavit with the IRS instead of with the Secretary of State. There was the big, there's the big fall through the cracks. If we'd have known to file it with the Secretary of State and then the IRS... We may live in a different world right now, quite frankly, but we didn't, okay? And so after the first couple of people that got big checks back and the IRS figured out what was happening, when you'd submit those 1040 NRs in the affidavit, they'd send you a $500 frivolous filing penalty for everyone. Now that's a $5,000 frivolous filing penalty, so you don't want to do that. In other words, well, what if you're already a national, and then you do a revocation of election? Well, I, I, you know, why, if you're already a national, why? They're not going to send you the money back. Okay, copy. All you're doing is rubbing salt in the wound and poking the bear, and there's just no reason to do that. To me, I mean, if you want to do it, go ahead. But I, I, I certainly wouldn't, and I wouldn't advise anybody to. Okay, I was just curious about, about that. Now, you know, and I don't know if I've ever told you this story, Ephraim, and some of the other folks. When, when John and Glenn first met, they met at a traffic seminar down in Bullhead City, Arizona. And it's funny. I've been in communication with this guy in the last couple of days. John had a friend who's now retired in Panama, and he was a United Airlines pilot. His name's Roy Stollard. And Roy could get John flights passes because he was a pilot and so when this traffic seminar in arizona came up he got john a flight down there and that's where he and glenn met okay and so glenn got john's number and got some of his information after they went back home and he started looking over it and he said there's a business here of course, Glenn had had a year law school at UCLA already and had an interest in this. That's why he was at the traffic law seminar. And so when he, I remember he called, <laughs> he called John after they met, and he called John on the phone, and he said, is this John Benson? When he answered, he says, is this John Benson? And I remember him telling me what John responded. He said, who wants to know and why? <laughs> It sounds just like John. Who wants to know and why? And so they got to be friends, and Glenn said, uh, he said, I, there's a business here. And as I've told people, if that event right there wouldn't have happened, John Benson would have died, and all this research would have been stacked up in his closet, and it would have got thrown away. Because he just did not have any marketing or any type of putting things out ability. His ability was research and he liked to think he was a writer, okay? Um, and so that's how those guys met. And so they got together, 
and put this whole course and got a bunch of uh, ron was talking about it yesterday the law books uh john and glenn went back and got a bunch of these old english law books that you can't hardly find in our law libraries with such guys as cook it's spelled Coke, C-O-K-E, but it's pronounced Cook, and he was one of the great English jurists. You'll hear Brent refer to him occasionally. Pollock and Maitland, a book called Shepherd's Touchstone, which is how you go back and shepherdize law cases and make sure that the law is still good. And those are the ones I remember right off the bat. And they had them real professionally reproduced, and they sold them, you know. And so they took all of this and put this whole course together, and then they sent it to the IRS, and they sent it to the Philadelphia Service Center because that's the service center that deals with non-resident alien returns. And they wrote them a letter, and they said, uh, we want you to know that we're going to be going around the country and teaching this seminar on tax law, and we'd also like to tell you that if where we are, and if any of your agents would like to show up and they show us identification, we'll not only let them in for free, but we'll give them free class materials. And the IRS wrote back and they said, wow, well, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. We're going to turn this over to the education department, which obviously they did because a few months later, the education department showed up at three of their locations with Glocks and held them with Glocks at their head for eight hours on the floor. That's the that's the background history on this, Ephraim. Are you still there? Uh, yes, yes, I'm listening. Okay, so uh, I would I like to take get and there's a court case, a wonderful court case, a site that I found over on of all places, Copper Moonshine. Still, they got some real good sites over there, and this site says unless a person can prove they're not a citizen of the United States the IRS can move on to assessment and collection. I don't think that's exactly correct in the back part, but it's close enough. Unless a person can prove they're not a citizen of the United States. Well, how do you prove you're not a citizen of the United States? There's only one way. You've got to submit some sort of paperwork saying that you're not to the Secretary of State of the United States, and it's got to be in his possession or, in other words, in your administrative folder. And if it does and is then it's admissible into any court proceeding because it's in the secretary's position and it bypasses the laws of evidence. And so for you new people out there, they're always asking me, well, what about if you go to court? They're never going to take you to court. You're out of their jurisdiction for one thing, and they know that if they do get you into court, that you can get this document in and it bypasses their barriers called the rules of evidence. And that's why you're never going to get prosecuted. They do not want this information in any kind of a public setting. I'm telling you, they're scared as hell of this. Why do you think they've stood mute for 11 years, Efren? You don't don't think if they had some way to come back on us and they weren't scared of it getting publicity that they'd become beating us on the the head with a club like they're doing in Ottawa? I guarantee you they would, okay? But they can't, and they won't, because they can't stand the publicity in the light. Cockroaches cannot stand the light. Just open, turn on the light, and watch them scurry for the cabinets. Same thing. 
That's who these people are. They're cockroaches. Little slaving little cockroaches. And that's why this works so effectively. Because it's by their rules. It's the great truth. And they can't stand to have it in the light. And I go back to, you know, I don't know if you've... When I first started teaching this on RBN years ago, and there was a guy that used to troll Deanna Spingola and RBN hosts all the time. He was assigned to monitor the network. It was back really when InfoWars and RBN were about the only two Patriot networks out there, WWCR maybe, and they just had different shows on. Okay, And this guy go went under the moniker of, of, uh, of Russ from Minnesota. Russ from Minnesota. He'd get on and troll and try to disrupt the shows and discredit people and all that stuff. And when I first started teaching this, he didn't contact Bennett's show, but he contacted a couple of other shows. Oh, that stuff Roger tells He doesn't know what he's talking about. That's going to get a lot of people in trouble. And there was another one of John and Glenn's students, Ron, and his name was Tommy. You may have heard him because he used to call into RBN and radio shows all the time. He's pretty prolific like Chris Cave was. And his moniker was Tommy from Brooklyn. Do you ever remember hearing him, Ron, Tommy from Brooklyn? Any of you guys? No, I don't remember that. Well, he, he used to call into RBN all the time, and he had been through John and Glenn's class, and we knew each other, you know. And I remember him contacting me. He said, man, that guy Russ from Minnesota called into so-and-so's show, and he was running you up one side and down the other. And I called in right behind him, and I said, hey, I was a student of the same people that taught Roger, and Roger knows what he's talking about. So I was getting these reports back that he was starting to harangue me on different shows on the network. And he started sending people emails, and somebody sent me an email. That stuff Roger Sales teaches is going to get a lot of people in trouble. And then one day when I talked to John Statmiller on the phone, and I mentioned it to him, and he said, oh, yeah, he called me at the station. Well, listen, when John Statmiller was alive, he didn't hang around at the station. He blew in about 15 minutes before his show, did his show, hopped on his Harley, and blew out. Okay, so to catch him at the station and the network was a feat accomplished by itself. And the guy said, he told, Statmiller said, he called me. And that's exactly what he said. That stuff Roger Sales is teaching is going to get a lot of people in trouble. Well, bless John Statmiller's little pointed head. He wasn't sharp enough to understand, to put that together, that he ought to pay attention to it. Because nobody had ever done that. I said, John, has anybody else ever called you on anything like that? No. Okay, so he went to those links. So here's what happened, Ephraim. I was talking to one of my real good students, a guy named Rick Scruggs from Georgia. Lives down on the coast now. And if he's still with us, I hope he is. And I was talk, telling Rick about all this. And he goes, well, you know, I was in a police station the other day. And I picked up one of those Southern Poverty Law Center books that they send out to police departments. And I said, well, do you have it? You still got it? He says, yeah. I said, well, go get it. And so he go in and rooted around and found it and came back and opened up the front page where all the people's names that get credit for it. And I said, is there anybody named Russ on there? And he goes, yeah, Russell Estes, managing editor. I said, is there anybody else named Russ on there? No. Well, it must be him. 
And so I got on the air and identified him with his last name. And it freaked him out because he never called and never hassled me again. But later on, when I was on Joyce Riley, and Joyce and I were friends, you know, and she told me there's a guy named, I can't think of his name. He was on SGT Report a couple of years ago. He lives down in the South Pacific, and he used to have a female sidekick on with him. Does anybody know the guy I'm talking about? His name might be Johnson or something. Nobody. Anyway, it's this guy in the Patriot community, and I know because of somebody that knew him that he's a Jew that changed his name. Okay, and he's one of these PAY triots that would sell you the the. Is it fun- Peter Nice? No, it wasn't Peter Nice. He was pretty good actually, uh, but it's this other guy. Maybe I'll think of his name. But anyway, him and he had a female sidekick, and he always he'd give her a little part in his show called the the woman's point of view. Okay, and for oh, a while, Brent he, Johnson. Brent Johnson. Thank you. That's who it is. Okay. And Brent Johnson and the female both called Joyce Riley after she had me on. And guess what they told her verbatim? That stuff Roger Sales is teaching is going to get a lot of people in trouble. Exactly the same words Russell Estes from the Southern Poverty Law Center used with everybody. Brent Johnson. That's who it is, Brent. Thank you. Okay. So uh, there's a couple of snakes in the in the uh, ointment right there, folks. Hello. Are we? Are we? Is that a question? Is that a question? Are you? Are you talking to us, or you just have your mic open? Pardon me. Jack. You got your mic open, bro. Could you hit that? Okay. You got it. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Alan. Uh, John, heard you say anything about that Rick Wiles video you sent out over the weekend? Did you talk none about it? I don't think I have because a lot of times over the weekend and yesterday's show was so brisk. Uh, Very good, very good show on Friday with Rick Wiles, and it's funny because Samuel. Sent, first of all, Josh Wallbuilder, the one I was referring to earlier with SEDM, had sent it to me. And I opened it up, and I was watching it. And I went over and checked my email, and there was an email from Samuel saying, Have you seen Rick Wilde's show? And I sent him the link back. I said, Is this it? <laughs> and he goes, Yeah. So, yeah, I sent it out to a bunch of people, and oh, I even got some comments back. Usually people don't comment back, but everybody found that to be an exceptionally insightful video with Rick Wiles Friday. Jack, Jack, if that's you, could you hit your mute again? Because that's feeding over on us, bro, a little bit. Hi, Roger. This is Lisa. I had a question. Hey, Lisa. Hi. Um, Again, I want to thank you for all the information. Is this Lisa in Arizona? No, this is Lisa in California. Okay. Hey, Lisa. Hi, I wanted to thank you again for all the information that you're putting out there and all the people that have connected with me, um, you know, um, outside of the um, your show, giving me additional information. I just picked up on the last tail end of the tax um, information. Yeah, I had a question. Okay, I, I, good. 
um, when I first got the information, I got so overwhelmed, it paralyzed me. Yes. I was putting up documents and I had like over 300 pages of stuff that I had to sift through. So it kind of paralyzed me and kind of just kind of stopped me in my tracks. So I had to regroup and, you know, realize that just one step at a time. So my time frame for getting everything done is is behind in 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 essence like um I don't know if you remember I called like a few weeks uh, ago and told you that my job is on the line I work for Los Angeles County Probation Department Yes I do and, yeah, and because I'm unjabbed or, you know, unvaxxed or whatever language people want to use, um, my job is on the line. I've been with the department you're, as an um, investigator for 20, 22 a, years. You're a pure blood. 22 years. You hear me? Yeah. And I'm okay with walking away <clears throat> um, despite how this, um, you know, giving your citizenship or proclaiming your freedom turns out. Well, I just submitted my um, um, uh, notarized document that they were requesting and i put all the information that i sent to the secretary of state so i'll know how that turns out when they get it you know i'm, I'm sure their eyebrows are going to go up and you know they're going to like what do we do with this so i'll you know give you guys feedback on how that um works out but my question is i just recently um submitted my documents to the secretary of state they um i did the tracking it doesn't appear that um, they are in receipt of it. So I did it again because I'm like, you know, it doesn't hurt. So with the IRS, I'm waiting to submit my documents with them until it shows that the secretary of state has it in my folder, my administration administration folder. Well, they won't. And that may take a while to get in your admin folder. What you're okay. looking for is when they sign and receive it. And it should oh. be actually, technically, it should be considered received when you put it into their agent, the post office's hands, for delivery. Oh, 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 okay. 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 Well, because I picked up um, on another one of you. I was listening, actually listening to some of your archived yes, shows. And, and I noticed that, you know, a lot of people were saying they weren't getting the receipts back right. in time. And to go get the, the firm book. So I've been in um, trying to um, get that, but been su unsuccessful because a lot of the post offices that I go to say, oh, we don't know what that is. And I even gave them the form um, and they were acting like they didn't know what I was talking about. So huh. I'm still on the hunt to get that. Okay. okay. Yeah. So with the IRS, um, I know if it's not, if I haven't um, given notice yet, which I have not, do you still suggest filing for last year since at that time I was still considered a slave in their eyes. Um, I, you know, again, it's hard for me to give advice, but if you didn't have the affidavit in, you're technically still liable for those taxes. Okay. And you may, you may slip through the cracks. Okay. Okay. But okay. you may not. And what they, if you don't, especially if they know that you're out of their clutches, they'll come back and take a big chunk of meat out of your backside on the way out the door. Okay. And I understand no advice. My apologies. Used the wrong language. Right. This is for uh, entertainment purposes. Well, no, I, I get all mine giving suggestions, but yeah, suggestions. I, I don't give advice. And the reasons like Dan was calling yesterday and asking me about that really ambiguous part of the code. And the reason I've never told anybody to do this is because it's not my decision to have you do it. It's your right. decision. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So once they, once they receive it, it should be considered 
and they have it. Once it's in the mail, it should be considered received. Now, you can take that a step further, and if you've got your certified return receipt requested number, you can go online and see if it's been signed for. Okay. All right. And now, if you get that it's been signed for, take a screenshot of it and go ahead and print that out. So in case your return receipt gets lost or doesn't get delivered, you've got the proof that they received it and signed for it in your folder. Okay, perfect. Got okay. it. Got it. So that's a way around that. And as somebody asked the post office about that, and they said, well, sometimes it might get stuck in a magazine accidentally because it's just that one sheet of paper they're going to get back to you. And I can understand where that easily at times get lost. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Now, now, Lisa, uh, you're with the probation department in L.A. Do you know Ephraim? Ephraim, are you still on? Because I believe that's what he does also. Well, we go by different names, I know, because, um, you know, everybody has different um, sites that they're on, so they log on as different things. So sure. I know a couple of people, but I'm not sure if, you know, they're, if I know them by the name that they're okay. logged in. Well, anyway, Efren, who I was talking to earlier, isn't that your job, Efren? Didn't, didn't you tell me that earlier? Yes, yes. I've spoke to Lisa before on the okay. telephone. Okay, yes, good. Hi. Deal. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad to see you guys networking up there and finding the people that want to get out of that shooting match. And, Lisa, I'll be very interested, and so will the audience, to know how the city of Los Angeles uh, responds to your notice to them. Yeah, like I said, I put it in the the affidavit portion that I – and what it was, I requested a religious exemption. And initially I was going to – I sent it to the Secretary of State. And I was going to send it to the attorney general and, you know, and so on and so forth. But I didn't get to those steps yet. So um, the paper that I submitted was for um, a religious affidavit, the religious um, exemption. exemption. They, yes. And they came back and said they needed additional information. So okay. uh, when I originally um, filed it, I, I wasn't aware of your group or the information. So I just um, put in there, you know, I'm requesting um, the exemption, period. So now they're asking for additional information. And in that, I referenced my affidavit that I sent to the U.S. Um, State Secretary of State. And I put all the verbiage that was in there, you know, how I'm not a citizen of the U.S. I mean, I went I'm under the purview, of the, not under the purview of the 14th Amendment. I mean, I literally spelled you, it out. You laid it on thick. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so well, I'm curious. For your, for your own protection? I yes. would advise that you, when you get the chance, that you put the attorney general and all those local people and tie them all together on notice, too. Okay. 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 I'm a, that's my next step. Okay. It was just that, um, like I said, I got paralyzed with everything that I had to do, sure. so I had to break it up into yeah. steps. And, and listen, I understand your statement earlier about taking a drink of water out of the fire hydrant. And, yes. and and I, I used to have more of a habit of doing that until I realized what I was doing to people. And you give them so much information that you turn them off to it, you know, and they just go, I can't learn all that and walk away. And, of course, that's the opposite of what we're trying to achieve. And that's why I try and feed it in little bites and try and, you know, the old saying, it's easier to pull a rope than it is to push a rope. And, oh, yeah. And I but wanted, I was 
turned you, off. I was not turned off. It was just I was trying to grasp you, you everything get, in one bite. You get overwhelmed, and you can't do that. It's a, it's a process. You know, the event was when you got exposed to it and all that dumped on you. And the rest of the time, probably the rest of your life, the process will happen. And that's where you continually uncover little nuances that you didn't know before. And the more you know, the more you're able to see things you wouldn't have been able to identify before. And it's this process, you know. And it's the process of freedom and re-empowerment. So welcome it with open arms. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're glad to have you, girl. Okay. Thank you. And you got, you, you got an opportunity to really hook up. You're very fortunate there in Southern California to have Dawn and Pageant and, and some of the other folks that have put together these little groups that are meeting and getting together on a regular basis so you guys can help each other and exchange information and have some camaraderie and know that you're not out there alone. And I know that's very important. Okay. Yes, absolutely. I'm okay. grateful. Thank you. Yes, you should be. You're very fortunate. Yeah, Alan. Uh, for Lisa and all, I had heard on the Kate Daly show, they were talking about the sheriff out there in L.A. I thought it was L.A. County who had come out the other day and made the statement that he was not going to enforce that in his department because he would lose over half of his people. Yeah, I, he's the one that got up at Christmas and told people not to come to L.A. because it wasn't safe. Yes, absolutely. But the Board of Supervisors, um, they're actually there, um, have him in their eyesight for trying to um, take him down. So, you know, all the uh, loopholes are creating um, ways to go around his authority. So that's what they're doing now. They're really, um, you know, trying to take the power away from him. Um, because from my understanding, he had the right to fire and hire and you know, all that stuff. And so the deputies that the sheriffs that were not um, vaccinated, he wasn't bothering them. So the board of supervisors held a meeting and they took that power or they're in the process of taking that power away from him and um, designating uh, a human resources person to be able to fire and do all that. So basically, they undermined his authority by um, taking that power away. He needs, so, um, he needs to have some of his better deputies follow those people wherever they go and start writing them citations every time they turn left or right without a blinker. Roger, Roger did you know the Ottawa Police Department is exempt from the jab? Yes, and because they got a New World Order guy because the other guy quit. They got this creep that signed on with the New World Order bunch that's running the Ottawa Police Department now. Yeah, I knew that. Well, they were before this guy resigned. But anyways, and they're enforcing this on the truckers. Isn't that a laugh? Yep. Yeah, well, you know, it's just like uh, nobody from the White House or the post office or all these other places. They're all exempt, too. Well, file yourself an affidavit and you can, too, become exempt. If you got that mandate hanging over you anywhere. Roger. Yes, sir. Yeah, hey, this is Dwayne, New Orleans. Hey, Dwayne, I was thinking about you this morning. You know what Dwayne wrote me? He said, Roger, your show has caused me to break my cardinal rule that I would not put any more apps on my cell phone. Wasn't that you? Not only any more, any apps. So just a side note, I just saw that we had a, one of the largest refineries in the country just had a big fire explosion down here in Garyville. So Where's Garyville? South New Orleans? No, it's it's a little bit north and, and west of New Orleans. Okay. So anyway, um, that's not why I called, though. It seems to me that 
if anybody, if I get in trouble and have to go to a jury, you know, to trial and a jury trial and I'm a national, it seems to me I'm entitled to a jury of my peers. Well, that's another way to do it. But let's go back to the start of your statement. If you were to get in trouble, what kind of trouble? Well, the only trouble I could really get in is if I hurt or hurt another human or stole or injured them, harmed them in some way, their that's, property. That, 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 that's correct. You have to go out because you're under common law now. None of those regulations that all apply to residents apply to you anymore. So you can't get, you know, there's two types of crimes, Dwayne. It's called mala prohibita and mala in se. Have you ever heard this before? This is what my buddy Ron Brown used to talk about this all the time. And mala prohibita are man-made laws of the administrative state. And mala in se are crimes within themselves where someone is an injured party. And those, again, are the only two types of crimes. And you're not culpable for mala prohibita crimes any longer. And hopefully you wouldn't go out and injure anybody because you're a nice well, guy. Yeah, no, I agree, but, you know, people can make say false things against you. So then at that point then I'm looking for a jury of my peers, well, which are more nationals, not U.S. citizens. Well, that's true, and you could probably say I can't get a fair, jur- a fair jury unless I get nationals in there. I doubt if any of our people, unless they've earned it, would be in any kind of a trial setting. No, I agree. I just was bringing that up if anybody's yeah. ever sat before. Yeah, I, I've, and I've thought of that before, too, and it's been discussed a time or two, and I think yeah. you're right. Hey, Roger. Yes, hey, well, look at there, Doug from Arkansas, just right there above Louisiana, checking in with us. <laughs> How's my, my uh, lower folks in Louisiana? Hey, uh, <laughs> well, I have a few comments. One, uh, dealing with what uh, your last caller just brought up. You do everything with an affidavit. Okay, if they don't, if you do an affidavit, that's the highest evidence. You know, if huh. they don't come back with uh, an affidavit that challenges that, well, what, that's, you don't agree with that. This, no, I do, and I was going to say I'm glad you brought it up, okay? Because it's real important. I don't, I don't mention it and talk about it enough. But you see, this is that knowledge of the law that you can really apply in all kinds of instances and situations in your life. Let's say you get in, Dwayne. Let's say you get out and you get in a fender bender, okay? The first thing you do is come home and write out an affidavit. This happened. I was driving down this street. This person pulled out in front of me, yada, 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 and you go get it notarized. Now, should that come to court, now I've got an affidavit, and the people that are trying to charge you, where's your affidavit? Oh, we don't have one. Well, guess whose affidavit stands? Okay? So. Anytime you get in any kind of an altercation in your life, in your day-to-day life, you can utilize these legal tools. That's why I keep telling you all the knowledge, just legal knowledge, and, yeah, it takes a little bit to learn it, okay? But once you get it, it can advantage you in your day-to-day life like crazy. I can't tell you how much my legal knowledge came into play when I was in that horrible automobile accident in Argentina that had fatalities, okay? And even my attorney was shocked. He said, damn, you know a lot about the law, okay? And I do, all right? And it helped us guide that case out to its income where I walked away. And there's six fatalities in that accident, okay? And I was there illegally. And I still walked, okay? 
So it, you know, it can really come in handy, just little things like this knowledge of affidavit, how to do it, their power, and what you do in any kind of altercation. Go home, write an affidavit out. You don't even have to go get it notarized. You can just get two witnesses, find two people to sign it, and it's good as notarized. Yeah, Doug? Well, you know, even with an affidavit, as you mentioned, I think, yesterday, if you make a mistake on an affidavit, because you, you can, and you're swearing to the accuracy of it, uh, which can happen, I look at your your um, uh, contribution to this whole thing, is unless you understand where the dots were connected, where you got enslaved, uh, you're, you're kind of uh, impaired impeded okay but let me say this um this goes back to when you were talking about ralph uh winterroot and him being sick so on a, a monday the 14th of this month i'm driving like an hour away to go do some work and i come through this area about five miles long and it looks smoky but it didn't smell smoky and i had my window cracked and uh Man, it was like uh, I noticed I was being kind of infected in a sense. And they've been chemtrailing like crazy for the last few weeks. Well, anyway, so I get to the job. I'm working, you know, six hours there. And uh, my nose is running. I start coughing. And, and the coughing thing, a lot of this COVID thing is a lung thing. People get afraid when they can't breathe. I mean, I, when I was driving home Monday and I went back there Tuesday, I mean, I was I, I almost passed out because of the amount of congestion and phlegm and all this stuff I was coughing up. Anyway, I'm doing a lot better now. But the second thing is about a person that uh, works at TJ Maxx that I know. And they, their policy is, if some, if you see someone stealing, you can't stop them. One right. incident she shared with me is this person had their cart, you know, full, and and the security knew what, that she was stealing. And they just let him go out. Well, that wasn't the most irritating thing. She's she's looking for another job because. That's not the most irritating thing. That's obviously crazy. It encourages crime. The The most important thing is they've been, you know, Christmas stuff came in before Thanksgiving. There's not enough room in the stores to store all this stuff. So they want to get as much stuff out on the floor. And what they have been doing is throwing like dumpsters big the big dumpsters out okay uh, just throwing it out writing it off and she's been fighting with them for weeks to say you know give this to the homeless shelters these are clothes shoes you know all this kind of thing that obviously could be given away as a write-off and they're not doing that they're mm. throwing it all away huh. Yeah, and the last thing, uh, well, that that oh, is that they a policy again? Is every per, every person that comes in the store, they have to harass them to get 
a TJ Maxx credit card. You know? So that goes to the bank of thing again. Yeah. yeah. Well, you anyway, know, GMAC, which is General Motors Acceptance Corporation, or whatever that stands for, they don't make their majority of their money selling cars. They make it all financing them. And they've literally, everything's becoming a finance thing with all the usury attached. Sure enough. Yeah. So, uh, okay, well, we're pretty close to the end of the program. Did you think anybody else have anything they wanted to bring up real quick and get in here at the last minute? There's a bit of housekeeping on the Surf to Sovereign to Surf website. That letter from uh, Cousin Simon, I can't, when you click on it, it doesn't pull up. I don't have any, I, I've got a, I don't have a real good relationship with my webmaster, and I'd really like to, uh, uh, I'd like to find somebody new and start up a new website. If any of you guys know anybody that's got web talents that would like to work with me, uh, I'd sure entertain talking to them. Um, and then one of, your, one of your videos wasn't it's was there, and I was listening to it, and then all of a sudden you can't, it's not even there. Just the like, is that the one? The one? Uh, the only video I've ever done is the passport for Ed Snowden. Is that the one? No, it was. Uh, well, maybe it was. Maybe well, well, I guess I there's another one that was on YouTube that is a transcript of a sh- the last show I did with for Joyce Riley when I had the whole program, A Timeline to Tyranny. If you want to go, what we found out about YouTube is when they take something off, all they do is adjust the search algorithm so it won't find it. So if you want to find my stuff on YouTube, go in and search for PPN Radio. And all of that stuff and that channel will show up. And the Ed Snowden passport, the timeline to tyranny, all that stuff is in there. And you can watch it and view it at that point. So that's a way to access it, okay? And hopefully one of these days I'll find me a decent web guy because I'd... You know, we're getting to a point where I could really use the help, and we need to have some of this stuff on a accessible location, and I'd like to start a new website. Uh, but uh, we'll get past it and get through it, and I sure appreciate your uh, patience with me till we can get that done. Um, otherwise than that, we're whistling. That means we're out of here, and Jim Ram's next, and I know he's sitting there ready to get the baton, uh, and he'll probably be scheduling something about health today, I'd imagine. Jimbo, you right there, old buddy? Yes, I am, there sir. There he is. Okay. Uh, thank you for sending me Mike's contact information. I'll get with him next day or so. And uh, that was a really good show, and he's a real good find yesterday, okay? Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> I did, I did a too. Lot of comments on it. I, I'm sure there's a lot of interest I could tell just from listening. So, otherwise than that, it's uh, I'll get the rest of my Tuesday done. I'm gonna go have break some bread with Jack and a few of the other good folks there, and try and come home and see what's happening. I'm done with my extra appearances for the week, and probably get on RBN next week. And I'll see you guys tomorrow, and. Uh, Hopefully, we'll uh, have another good discussion tomorrow. We almost always do. I sure appreciate your time and your attention and your involvement today. And uh, we'll, as I said, see you manana in la manana, as they say in Spanish. And we're about to get knocked off the server here at any second. It's a little late today, imagine that. So uh, there we go. We just got knocked off. So 